Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word today, we need his help. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that's been preserved uh, for us, that reveals who you are to your people. Father, we need your spirit to enable us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. We need your spirit to change our hearts and our minds that we might be renewed. Father, would you give us that grace today? that we might leave here glorifying you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we are starting a new sermon series uh, this summer. We'll be working our way through the first few psalms. I think it'll be about 16 weeks until hopefully we're in a new location uh, after Memorial Day, something like that. And so uh, I'll, I'll be preaching... Most of them, Brock will be preaching a few times this summer. We'll have a guest preacher here. Uh, there's going to be some traveling. And one of the things that's really great about the Psalter is that uh, they're kind of all one-off sermons. Uh, see, the Psalter is full of these songs, these psalms, these prayers uh, that have been compiled throughout, really, a long period of time. Oftentimes, we refer to them as the Psalms of David because David is the principal author along with some of his contemporaries of most of the psalms, but some of them include things written down as far back as Moses. And so this book of psalms uh, is one in which has a great history to it. It has a a great place among the people of God, particularly at the time of David, in the worship during the tabernacle. Now as we get into the psalms in this series, we won't be able to get super far in, but we will hit on some different types of psalms. There are many different ways in which you could categorize them. Some are psalms of praise. A lot of times we use those as our calls to worship. There are psalms of lament, of lamenting what's going on in one's life. There are psalms of, uh, that are imprecatory, calling for God to bring his justice against the enemies of God's people. There are psalms that point us very directly ahead to Christ, messianic psalms, psalms of ascent where people are being lifted up to the throne room of God, psalms that take on kind of a wisdom language to it. I think Psalm 1 really has the sound of maybe more of a proverb, psalms of trust in God's provision and sovereign rule. All of these different classifications remind us that all of God's word, and particularly the Psalms, covers the full breadth of human experience. That there's nothing we experience in our lives that the people of God haven't experienced before, that God isn't unfamiliar with. And so as we come to the Psalter today, I'm excited. 
Psalm 1 is a great beginning, and it wasn't necessarily the first psalm written, but when the Psalter was compiled, they put Psalm 1 there for a reason. It really opens up for us as an introduction to the psalms. It is tied into Psalm 2. Maybe we'll get to that next week. Brock will be preaching. But as we open up our series today, one thing that we'll notice in wisdom literature in particular, and this psalm, is that it's very cut and dry. It's very black and white. It's very clear what the psalmist wants us to hear. We live in a time in which we like to muddy the waters. Everything's a little gray. There's always a nuance to be had. Indeed, we want to be people who are well thought out and nuanced. But today's psalm describes for us two types of people, uh, two ways of living. One way to be blessed. We begin our psalm in verse 1, and it begins to show us this great contrast Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now we see the word blessed. Maybe uh, we just went to Hobby Lobby yesterday and bought like a hand-painted piece of shiplap that says blessed on it. That's not necessarily what the psalmist is trying to communicate to us. It's not that all of the circumstances of somebody's life, this man here, this person here, It's not that his life is fully prosperous, that he is without pain. Another way in which people translate the word blessed is happiness, which doesn't do a lot of great things for us in our English language. Perhaps for us it might be helpful to think of it as those who have found true fulfillment, who have real life, who have God's blessing, who have found the truth. Who are truly blessed. The truly blessed man is like this. Jesus, of course, takes this imagery of a blessed man and he uses it in his Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, we'll just read it because it helps us think about this imagery of what the blessed man is like. Jesus opened up his mouth and said, The blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We see in the words of Jesus and the words of the psalmist here, the blessed man has not yet arrived. He is one who is trusting in the Lord, who is dependent on him to act, the one who will provide for him comfort and an inheritance and that which will satisfy his thirst and his hunger, that mercy that he longs for, the righteousness that he needs. The blessed man is dependent on God to provide for him. The blessed man has received from God what he can't muster up on his own. 
But our first verse here really gives us an outline of the ways in which a blessed man works. And kind of an apologetic or alliteration, a way in which a point is being made here, not an alliteration, but a way in which an argument is being made is to give the negative and then also the positive. So there's no you know, ambiguity about what the blessed man is really like. So we're told first what he's not like. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners, and he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So first, he is not walking in the counsel of the wicked. This is a way in which the psalmist wants to say the blessed man, the truly blessed man, he has not bought into the beliefs of this wicked and perverse world. The counsel of the wicked, the advice of the world. It seems there's always some sort of new movement in the history of humanity of what the leading thought is. We had this at the Enlightenment and the Reformation on a more positive note. The Great Awakening. Some of these have good things. Some of them have bad. Now we're in our post, you know, postmodernist type world. There has always been the counsel of the wicked, the counsel of the world that is separated from the counsel of God's word. And the blessed man is not deceived by those things out there. Oftentimes you hear people saying open-mindedness is a great virtue. We should all be very open-minded. Indeed, we should all be willing to listen, willing to understand, to grow in empathy for other people. One commentator said this, though. How many of you close the front door on your house when you go to bed at night? I would imagine most of us not only close it, but lock it. What would happen if we were to just leave our door open? Well, we might have some jackrabbits hopping around in there pretty quick. Neighborhood dog. The mice from the field might make their way in. We would have a bit of a mess on our hands, not to mention our utility bill might go up a little bit. The blessed man doesn't leave the door open to anything that might come in. He is very narrow-minded in the way in which he is focused, as we'll see, on the word of the Lord. Not all things are equal. He is not deceived. He is careful about the way in which he thinks. He has intentional beliefs. So his beliefs, his behavior, and his belonging. The second part is his behavior. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't act the way that sinners do. He doesn't stand among them. Now this is true among all different types of people. The way you think will affect the way you act. And so the blessed man, he doesn't think wickedly, and therefore it causes him to not act wickedly. He doesn't go about living his life in the way that those around him are living. He is not enticed by pushing the line of morality. He is not enticed by pursuing his own pleasures. His behavior has been changed. This is how the truly blessed man behaves. And third, belonging, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. And if you see the progression here, he's walking and standing and sitting. 
He's believing, he's behaving, and now he's belonging. Of course, he's not doing those things, but that would be the flight of somebody who was not blessed. The wicked man, the sinner and the scoffer. Who find their community, who find their belonging outside the boundaries of God's word. The blessed man is intentional in his beliefs, he's intentional in his behavior, and he is intentional with the community in which he belongs to. This is the negative way that the psalmist begins to show us the character of what the blessed man is like, where true happiness resides. Verse 2 makes it very explicit, turning to the positive. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. The contrast couldn't be more stark. Walking among the beliefs of the ungodly, standing in the way, behaving as the sinner, sitting in the seat of the scoffer. No, the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord isn't just the Ten Commandments. It's the word Torah. It's referring here to the, all of the written word of God. Not only does he hold to it, he delights in it. His heart has been changed in a way in which it is a joy to read, to hear, to live the law of the Lord. Not only that, not only does he like it, not only does he like Bible study, not only is it interesting to him, but he meditates on it day and night. Day and night just meaning continually. There's not a moment of his life where he's not meditating on the word of the Lord. That's what I mentioned earlier in our confession of faith. Psalm 23, we know it well, but we probably don't meditate on it all that often. But there's a reason why it's so comforting to those who maybe are at the end of their lives as a minister comes and prays for them and recites Psalm 23 to them. Because you begin to meditate on the imagery. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it mean right, to ponder, to meditate, to let those things dig deep into our hearts and to transform not only what we believe, but how we behave and where we find our belonging? The blessed man has a heart that delights in God's word. Where does this delight come from? Verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is the central image of Psalm 1. We printed coloring sheets. It's just a tree. Can you imagine how thriving a tree would be on the side of a bank of a river? And not only that, it is plural, streams of water. We planted a little tree, a little maple tree in our backyard You know, it's like that thick right now. If we don't water it every day, the leaves begin to wilt and turn brown. And so now I pay my kids a quarter to go dump buckets of water on it. Because it needs nourishment. It needs life in the water that is provided to it. The scorching sun of spring and summer 
would otherwise put it to death. But a tree that is rooted by streams of water, the roots that go down into a never-ending flow of water, Now, that's the kind of tree that you can climb on and hang a swing from that will grow and grow and grow and be deeper and deeper in its rootedness and its stability because it's feeding on the water continually without need. Now, this imagery of streams of water, of course, is throughout Scripture to point us to the blessing of God. Remember the Garden of Eden where there was four rivers flowing? The book of Ezekiel, the river goes out and extends God's blessing to the nations. Jesus being the true living water. The blessed man is like a tree that is planted firmly next to the blessings of God and soaks them in deeply, and it causes him to grow and to be more rooted and stable. Bears fruit. It's not stagnant. It doesn't just get enough water for the day. It overflows in fruit each season. And here we have the contrast with the wicked. Verse 4, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. So we're not too familiar with chaff probably in our current modern time. Most of us haven't been taking kernels of wheat and beating them and getting the chaff off of them. It's just that outside light coating. And then back in the ancient world, they would throw up the grain and the chaff would be blown away in the wind as it separated from the good seed. This is how rooted the wicked man is. He's not even connected to anything living. Tossed by the wind. Think about the imagery of John the Baptist. What were you expecting to see? Somebody tossed to and fro? No, John the Baptist stood on the shores of the water, rooted, strong, proclaiming God's word, bearing fruit. But the wicked are not so. They have no rooting. They have no source of ultimate life coming into them. Just float away as the wind blows. The contrast between the blessed man and the wicked man is very strong. It's one in which it can be tempting for us to feel some sort of sense of self-righteousness where we think of the world out there and the blessed people in here. I hope you understand that one of the reasons we confess our sins every week is because we are all, at some level, the wicked man. The blessed man is only made blessed by God's act. We have this concluding statement, therefore. Now remember, every time you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? 
The blessed man is like this. He doesn't do these things. He does these things. He delights in the law of God. He meditates it on, on a day and night. He is rooted next to the streams of water. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. When the judgment comes, when difficulties come, when God's perfect law is declared, the wicked will just be like chaff blown away in the wind. They will not be able to stand. They are not truly blessed. Think about the things in our culture that we look to to say, and that person has got the good life. You think just of one real low-hanging fruit example. Think about the culture in Hollywood. How many times we've watched episodes of people's tours of the ridiculously large houses and we get the updates about this actress is now dating this guy and they got this new Bugatti Veyron car that can go 300 miles an hour. And we think, wow, that's such a great life. I wish I could have some of that. That is not the blessed life. Because if you look deeper into those people's lives, they wouldn't say it was very blessed either. How often do stars fall from their place of prominence only to be replaced by the next one? How many of the celebrity marriages and nicknames no longer exist? They were pursuing what they thought was the blessed life. All of the riches and fame and comforts you could possibly have. And yet the psalmist says here it is all chaff. When real life comes, when what really matters is at stake, none of that matters at all. We have this great contrast that's not merely in our lived experience. It's not merely about those who are wealthy and have done well for themselves or have found some fame versus those who are just ordinary or lowly. But ultimately, this blessed man, he has life that brings him to a destination. It is a very poignant place here at the end of our psalm that the wicked will not be able to stand in judgment, which means they will be consumed. And they will not be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous. Notice some of the uh, allusion to the first verse. They're not going to be welcomed in to the new heavens and the new earth to stand among the people of God, to be welcomed into his presence. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. And it's this stark warning This is an apologetic psalm of gospel proclamation. That for us, who when we look at the blessed man, maybe we can identify with him a little bit. I don't know about you, but my Bible times are not always a delight. I don't always want to do it. In fact, it has to become a discipline. That's why we call spiritual disciplines disciplines, because they're hard for us. Because in our hearts, because of sin and Self-righteousness, we don't want to do it. We don't want to meditate day and night. We want to think about ourselves and other things. 
We don't like being planted in one place to receive the water from the stream. We like to keep our options open. And so this psalm is a pointed psalm, particularly to the people of God. David's not singing this psalm as he marches off into the pagan nations. But it is one in which it is calling all of God's people, all of the world ultimately, to ask the question, where do we find our true happiness, our blessedness? What does it mean to be truly blessed? Because there are only two types of people in this world. There aren't three. There aren't four. There's not 62. There's not 174 either. There are blessed people. And there are wicked people. I'll put it a different way. There are wicked people. And there are wicked people who have been blessed. Wicked people whom God has intervened in their lives who he has uprooted and planted by his streams of living water, those whom he has called out of darkness and into light, those who used to believe a certain way, used to behave a certain way, used to belong to a certain group, and have been called to believe in Jesus Christ and to behave according to the work of the Spirit in their hearts and to belong to those who've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it is a miracle. Now, don't get me wrong. When you see this delighting in the law of the Lord, that is not something you can muster up in yourself. It is the work of God's Spirit within us. Remember the promise from Ezekiel that he would take our stone of heart and give us a heart of flesh and put his spirit, new spirit within us? that we may delight in his word and walk in his ways. This is the work of God in the blessed man's life. Indeed, he may fall into fortune. He may live a poor, meager life. But he is truly blessed. He is truly rooted next to the source of life himself. He is not looking for something better, the next great idea. He is not looking to push the bounds of what it means to be acceptable. He is not looking to belong insecure in his own identity because he has been given an identity that he doesn't even deserve. It would be a great error to read this type of passage, this type of psalm, these types of contrasts, and think, I'm the blessed man, and everybody else is stupid. But that's often the posture in which the world views the church. And unfortunately, it's the posture that the church has often taken against the world. I've decided not to believe those stupid thoughts and not act like those stupid people It is God who must do this work within us. And it ought to bring true humility to us. Because without God's act, without his Holy Spirit changing our hearts, we are like the wicked man. Left to our own hearts, our own desires, our own proclivities towards sin, it will just be a gradual step away 
a gradual uprooting of the tree from the river, a gradual open door to let anything in. But the blessed man has been redeemed. The blessed man has been bought with a price. The blessed man belongs to Christ. The blessed man's mind is being renewed. His will is being renewed. His family has changed. I don't know what beliefs you are prone to want to accept, ways in which you might be embarrassed about the Word of God. There's going to be lots of them in the days ahead, I'm sure. And there always has been throughout time. Be foolish to believe that. Isn't that what grandmas believe? You don't actually believe what the Bible says, do you? I can't imagine the things that people said to the Israelites who worshipped in this tent and sang this song. Powerful, mighty nations mocking them, sitting in the seat of scoffers. There will always be a temptation in our lives, just as there would be in this time, to want to stray from what God's word has to say. And our psalm today reminds us that that is not the way of true blessing. It may give us some sort of material benefit. It may, may give us a door to influence. It may you know, let us into situations and relationships we might not otherwise be able to partake in. But the blessed man knows it's a trap, that there is no true happiness to be found there. And the same in our behavior, that perhaps the most predominant thing in our culture right now is that everything is good in moderation. It's just not true. There are some things that are not good in any form, in any amount. And so when we are prone to want to go into behaviors that we think will give us happiness, to pursue things that give us this false sense of that's where I can find joy. The psalm here reminds us that that is a trap as well. That it might even be harder to live like the blessed man. It might be hard to live like those Christians in Nigeria who saw their loved ones slaughtered. Man, it would be much better to just convert to Islam and begin to behave like you belong to them. But they understood what it means to be truly blessed. They don't have to believe those things. They don't have to act like those people. They belong to Christ. This is what the psalmist is calling us to, to resist those urges in our hearts. As Paul puts it, to put to death that which is earthly in us. The blessed man is being sanctified by the work of God's Spirit. He is aware of the traps of the evil one. And he finds refuge in the Lord himself. May we be those people who seek continually to be the blessed man. To be those who are identified as the poor in spirit. Who mourn over the sinfulness in our world, 
who are meek and humble, knowing that we are just recipients of grace and we know that God's love abounds. May we hunger and thirst for a righteousness that's not our own, rather than building our own case to be deemed right. May we be merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. This is the blessed life. This is what has been provided for us by God himself. As the Psalms were written so long before Christ ever came, they point ahead, each one, to the ultimate fulfillment. It is Jesus Christ who is the blessed man, is he not? When tempted to believe different things or to behave a certain way, what did he do? He spoke God's word to Satan in the wilderness, to those self-righteous Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. He delighted in doing God's will. Of course, we can never live up to Jesus' example, but it is by being found in him, by believing in him, by being seated at his table, that we can be identified as the blessed man, that we can have hope that we aren't yet done. That when we feel like we're wilting and unfruitful, we know that we are connected to the true vine. And all we need to do is abide in him. And out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. This is the good news of Psalm 1. That there is grace available. That wicked sinners can become blessed men in the kingdom of God. May we do everything we can in our own strength to close the door to the traps of wrong beliefs, wrong behaviors, and wrong community, and instead cling to the waters of living life, to the waters that bring renewal, to the one who gives blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has blessed us with unimaginable blessings that he himself fulfills the requirements of the blessed man on our behalf and that you are at work transforming us by the power of your spirit lord may we stay the course may you keep us in your hand that we would not be cast away into the wind like chaff and ultimately fall in the judgment and perish Father, we thank you that you show grace to sinners. Help us to extend that grace to those around us, that we all might delight in your word and meditate on your glories. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.